The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Welcome back to the Brandon Peters show and our, you know, the last trio of episodes here for the summer of 93 and 30. It's the summer of 93 and 30. Which has been a weekend by weekend look at the movies released during the summer of 1993. As always with me, first up from The Wrap, Scott Mendelson. Hello. And it's like the journey never ends. It doesn't. It doesn't. For you. <laughs> it goes on and on and on and on. Pause. And now we get to introduce Aaron Newworth from We Live Entertainment, where he's a senior editor, a writer of Wysoblue.com. He's written for Variety. He also hosts out now with Aaron and Abraham. Who, uh, it's Aaron Newworth. Of course, yes. Whoop, there I is. Yeah, not woot, whoop. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Today we're discussing uh, Phil, four films released the weekend of August 20 through the 22nd, 1993. That's three films released this weekend. One film that released a different weekend, but we have readjusted as we have talked many times, and it fits in here. This is a week. I'm When we started this, I was like, oh, well, we were going through... Weekend by weekend, this one was just like, "Ooh, that looks like the most fun week of all." It's every I mean, film is oh, more different than the previous. <laughs> regardless of quality that we'll get to, there's there, one that's going to stick out really bad. But come on, it was a curiosity to go like, "Oh, I remember that thing." I'm curious which one you're referring to, honestly, but we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, but uh, before we get into these four films, let's get into the news. When I wake up, don't you know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who brings the news to you. A beefed up Batman, a meaner, leaner Catwoman are some of the marketing ploys debuting at the San Diego Comic Convention, which opens to the public tomorrow. And on this day, this week, August 16th, the Debian Distribution first announced Ian Murdoch, a student at Purdue University. Yay! Murdoch initially called his system the Debian Linux release. Linux release or whatever. Okay. All right. Yeah, big time. Uh, two days later, on August 18th, historical Capelberg in Luzerne, Switzerland, destroyed by fire. Mm-hmm. Not good. Darn. That's not did you good. say that with like a wink? Like a fire did it? A fire. It was, a, it was like an actual fire. I think it was an actual fire, yeah. Okay, well, that's less fun. That, uh, history has reported it as an actual fire. Uh, uh, okay. Fire so, claimed many lives. So. Right. <laughs> so we have a big August 19th here, because there's a lot of like, and it's all like a lot of sports stuff, I guess. Um. Okay. Oh, and one. Ooh, here we go. Buckle in. So uh, August 19th. 
Starting up the the thirty fourth Walker Cup, the U.S. wins nineteen to five. USA, USA. Wait, wait, what sport was this? Uh, the Walker Cup. What is the Walker Cup? What is, this isn't Jeopardy, but the Walker Cup. I've heard of it before. If it, you don't know, just it tell is me a I'll golf trophy. It. it is a golf trophy contested in odd number of years by leading male amateur golfers in two teams. Okay. Yeah. How does and one score 19 to 2 in a golf competition? United States, Great Britain, and Ireland. I don't, it's teams. Maybe that may. I will look this up after the show because I'm curious. Maybe they just win the day, like win the yeah. rounds. Seize the rounds. day. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, 19 rounds to five. Um, uh, you think they would have called it then, but all right. Uh, oh, okay. Also, sports wise, on August 19th, Sally Gunnell. Runs a women's world a women's world record 400 meter hurdles in 52.74 seconds. That's uh, as one that did hurdles, that is that is not slow. That is not slow. <laughs> also, so this happens the next day, but it's sports, so I'm going to toss it up here. Colin Jackson he runs a world record 110 meter hurdles in 12.91 seconds. That, so here we go. That's fast. <laughs> yeah. So uh and also on August 19th. The 26th San Diego Comic-Con International opens at Double the Doubletree Hotel. Paul H. Uh, was talking about such films as um, Fortress with Christopher Lambert. Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Lambert was on site. People, were, they got up early screening. We're like, this is going to be huge. So. Yeah, the Doubletree Hotel, like ninety three. Yeah, that's a that the venue has wi- wildly changed since then. Given that it's the convention center, now. that the sounds Double like Hotel, that, that sounds that, like a true old convention being yeah. in like a hall with boxes of comics and guys yeah. sitting there. Like that's that's, an, that's you... an old convention versus what it what it becomes. All right, it was get... so long ago they actually talked about comic books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a our here in Indianapolis. We had our it's called uh, the Indiana. Indiana Comics Convention because everybody used to call it Comic Con and that is a trademark thing and they went to town on people all over. Uh, but this year I saw someone do a like an Instagram story like, "Hey, I'm I'm uh, just here day two to see all the comic book creators here at Indiana Comics Convention." <laughs> just kidding, there are none here. And then it's like, <laughs> no, literally, they have no guests that are comic book creators. I was like, oh shit. <clears throat> so. Yeah, there you go. Um, here's some scary shit news. Uh, August 19th, George Tiller, abortion doctor, was shot in his arms by Rochelle Shannon. Yikes. Yeah. That was 30 years ago. Jesus. Yeah. That's something you would think you'd hear about today, even. That's how sad not forward we have come here with that. Because what, what did that prove? What did that smash prove? that subscribe button? I gotta ask, what did that prove? I did that they could get away with it. I guess, Jesus. Uh, big <laughs> sorry. Uh, on that same day, he was shot. There was a big merger, uh, between Mattel and Fisher Price. They oh, came together. I assume those events are connected somehow. That's sure. part of that's the plot of Barbie that we discovered recently. In these, it's this. <laughs> we all we all know this by now because it came out weeks ago at this point. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That's why it was under wraps for so long, though. They wanted there. It was yep. all about Barbie and Ken driving across country to make sure they secured that merger. 
Yep, that's what happened. <laughs> it's weird how much it, it synced up with the the series finale of Succession with the Gojo deal. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Bob culture references. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and that end of succession. Whoo! I know when when Greg when Greg bury the killer when Greg uh got into the Brian Cox's body and puppeted him around like a living zombie, and then it just he ripped off the head and revealed, "Hey, it's just me, Greg, guys." That was pretty. It was pretty nuts. That was good, but like after the credits, when uh it just uh Brian Cox woke up in the padded cell and it was Hannibal Lecter's dream the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. It, they hinted was... at it when they started playing Strong as I Am in the credits for the show instead of Nicholas Patel's score. I was like, that's oh, true. Somewhere. That was the best episode of Arliss ever. Yes. <laughs> um, so on the same day that guy did the hurdle record, Howard Stern was fired from WLUP AM in Chicago. Looks like we never heard did from he, him did again. He, did he ever get back on his feet? I don't think that, so. I don't that, think that, that, that's in private parts too. They're gonna oh, okay. What if he did private parts too and they de-aged him? Oh geez. <laughs> him and Robin and Fred. Jesus. <laughs> you uh, say this, but it's like private parts of a fun movie. They could they watch another private Giamatti's like, I got nothing better to do right now. I'll take this fine. <laughs> this is a couple years earlier, it'd be like, We saw Fisher King, you're fired. You know, we're gonna have this shit happen. Uh, and because Howard Stern was fired on that same day, the Oslo peace accords were signed after secret negotiations in Norway, followed by a public ceremony in Washington, D.C. the following month. Yeah, I'm not sure if those two events are entirely connected. Well, that's why I was so surprised when Barbie brought that in at the end credit scene. Yeah, that is true. But because they were so busy with that, people got distracted. And on the next day, August 21st, NASA lost contact with the Mars Observer. Oh, yeah, that did happen. (laughs) (laughs) It's all connected. They're all looking at the TV like, oh, look, Oslo, where'd it go? (laughs) (laughs) Smash that subscribe button, people. Don't don't lose the run for what you do. You're looking at TV. YouTube's getting great new earth right now. I'll tell you that. That's how stations work. (laughs) Someone put the Oslo Accords on for a... Oh, we recorded over it. We Uh. recorded over. (laughs) Rewind it. What is this? Why are they signing a paper? Where is Mars? Where is... Oh, Oh, now you turn it to SAP. It's only in Spanish. I can't understand it. Okay. Um, We'll move on from this to our our deaths of the week. Oh, we don't have five more minutes of this to go. (laughs) Everybody, take it down. Take it down. uh, We're going to move on to our deaths. Um, Irene Sharaf, a costume designer. And Fang Kong, a mathematician, Johnny Sales, the soul singer, Sidney Arnold, the actor, uh, Kashdi Merba, a prime minister of Algeria, was assassinated. Oh, geez. I hope that didn't have to do with the Oslo Peace Accords. Quite but... the battle. Yeah. <sighs> so then. Uh, or the plot uh, of Barbie. Or... One birthday. Golfer Cameron Smith. Okay. Born on the same day and on the same week as the, uh, uh, what was it called? The Walker Cup happened. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was it was it was destiny. It was destiny for him to play golf eventually. <laughs> just so happened. You know, <laughs> you're right. It's a golf trophy. I just I don't yeah. understand the scoring system. Like, you know, you know, I was born, you know, he was born the week of the, the Walker Cup in 1993. It was <laughs> destiny that he he would become a golfer. So all right. Anyways, out of the news. And uh, we will be talking about the movie King of the Hill that came first. Uh, That's our first film this week. Hello, Billy. Hello, Aaron. How are you? I'm fine. What did you have for lunch today? I had filet of sole. I told you a thousand times, you only take food from the fat kids and you never take a kid's dessert. When are you going to teach me marvels? keep telling you. All the important stuff can't be taught, okay? You just have to learn. Sullivan will be going away for a while. I don't want to go. Don't worry, okay? I'm going to earn some money and get you back. How? I'm not sure yet. I know Lester will have some ideas. What the hell are you doing? The car, eh? How do you like the car? It's colossal. Whose is it? What do you mean, whose is it? It's mine. How'd you get it? Well, you know it. You better watch yourself. For Aaron Kurlander, the Great Depression was a time of great discovery. What do you think? Looks wonderful. You want a job? I get. Why don't you put something on? Get on my good side. I have something on. Got an idea. Might be a little risky. Up for it. Two partners, us against you. I'll put up five and Bill, you'll put up five against your ten. When the world turns upside down. I was just wondering if you'd like to dance. The trick is coming out on top. King of the Hill. It was a smaller release. I believe it came out a few weeks earlier, but we have bumped it here. Uh, directed by Steven Soderbergh, written by Steven Sober- Soderbergh and A.E. Hotchner, uh, starring Jesse Bradford, Jerron Crabb, Lisa Eichhorn, Karen Allen, Spalding Gray, Elizabeth McGovern, Adrian Brody, Amber Benson, Catherine Heigl is back two weeks in a row, and Lauren Hill of the Fuji. summer continues. Yeah. Uh, a young boy struggles on his own in a rundown hotel after his parents and younger brother are separated from him in 1930s Depression-era Midwest. This is the third film from Steven Soderbergh, but the second he wrote and directed, uh, the first was Sex, Lies, and Videotape. (laughs) And the second was Kafka! That's when Lem Dobbs wrote that one. (laughs) 
What did, do you need? What do you need to pause for? You just just and videotape just got me for some no reason. It just got me. <laughs> All right. Oh, sometimes they hit. All right. Okay. Uh, so, Aaron, we'll start with you for King of the Hill. Uh, had you seen had you seen this one before? I have the Criterion one, but this isn't a Soderbergh I go back to a lot, but. I have the criterion to as well. It's sitting down by my leg currently. Um, I'm a huge Soderbergh fan. Uh, anyone that listens out now knows that mm-hmm. uh, Soderbergh is one of my guys when it comes to directors. Uh, his early period, yes, it's a little less filled with like bangers. Um, After Sex Lies, which is a terrific debut. Kafka, you can't like even really see uh, right now. Um, this one and like uh, what's it underneath? It's Schizopolis, like. They're Underneath all... is a bonus feature on this yeah. disc. Like that's how highly, <laughs> that's how highly it has its own release now. Like a couple mm-hmm. kinos, but like it was a bonus feature on this to begin with. But like these are all like movies that like after Sex Lies, he just was not finding his groove. Like they were all bombing and, and like getting mixed reviews from critics. Like even Out of Sight, which was like a shift for him as a director. Even that wasn't a hit movie at all by any means. Mm-hmm. Like so, so but like so, King of the Hill. Um, it's neat to see him playing like he's certainly like he's such an experimental director especially I say especially but like his whole career is full of experimental ideas but like King of the Hill is so much more like formalist than like most of his other like I can't think of Mm -hmm. anything that's more traditionally made than this one maybe Aaron Brockovich by default just because that's like a a biopic (laughs) like but but this movie like it's a coming of age period drama much like we just talked about like last week with um that movie whose title I definitely can't remember, but refuse to say. Uh, so it's, um, <laughs> it's it, regardless, this movie, like I like it. I, it's not, I, yes, it's not one where I'm like, let me put on a Soderbergh right now. Oh, King of the Hill. That's the one I'm reaching for, but I certainly like the film. It's well-made as well-acted. Um, it really does a good job of emphasizing the young cast in a way where, not necessarily that's always the case like you could generally get like a couple veteran actors and like let them you know really nail like some big moments and have the young actors you know make it up or what have you but like you have people like jerome crabbin here who's very good but he's not much of a presence but by choice uh or by like you know by decision by in the writing and said so you have to rely on jesse bradford and some of these other like you know younger characters and i think they're quite effective uh for being a depression era movie and being made on a budget it looks good as I'd expect from a Soderbergh film, but again, it like it's not doing much to stray outside the lines when it comes to this kind of story. So it's like I certainly like the movie, but it's not it's not like it's trying to work overtime to really endear me to the direction of it or what have you. It's just like a solid movie, much like that Juliet Lewis movie that once again I can definitely tell you the title, but I'm refusing to. I think the night of. <laughs> it's not the no, night of. No, it's not, not the, the night, night of. of. No, that's the miniseries. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, that one's that night, but this one is that, that night. night. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thank oh, you I thought saying. you were uh, just I thought you were just messing around, but it is that night, yeah. No, you were you were believing that story that yes. I refused to tell you the name of it. Yes, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Adrian Brody's in this. And yeah. uh, <laughs> he's pulling off like good looking teen vibe. That's what he thought he's going for here. This it's is a, the Liberty Heights era. Well, he's Liberty Heights era Brody, yeah. 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 He was Even so though cool. that movie's still ninety nine, like yeah, he's a, yeah, he's got six more years, yeah. But he's yeah, he's 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 going for like the 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 um, what's it? What's the magazine like? Teen Beat or whatever? Like that's the look he has. Tiger Beat, Tiger Beat, yeah, obviously. 
But regardless, I like the movie. It's not one that I reach for all the time, but I think it's still a good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Scott? Um, I remember I, I, I saw this right whenever it came out on video or, or HBO or whatever, so it's been a while. But I remember being impressed even as a kid about how it delicately balanced being a story about a young, starving, basically homeless child in the Depression that didn't really skew being overly cloy or sentimental or being aggressively melodramatic and sad. I mean, the film is very aware of you know, the horrors of the Great Depression. I mean, there's a scene where the kid is so hungry, he eats pieces of paper for nourishment. Um, It's magazine cutouts of food. Yes, yes. Um, And it's funny, you guys talk about how, you know, it's more formal. Because even when the film came out, he was coming off of Sex, Lives, and Videotape. He was coming off of Kafka. I was like, this is a more normal movie than I'd expect from this guy. But it got rave reviews. Um, It was, you know, reading reviews of this film as a kid was the... First time I had heard about Soderbergh. I mean, I, I kind of vaguely heard of Sex Lies and Videotape because you know, it was a big, big news story. But I it was like, oh, that guy. Um, and and wasn't like a big like the response. It really didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, even there, you know, the reviews weren't particularly good. And you're right; it really isn't until the limey that I think he sort of gets a second wind again. I don't say it's terrific, but it's even back, you know, 25 years ago, ooh, why aren't people going to see the kind of films they say they want in theaters, blah, blah, blah. And that was certainly an example of that. Like, um, like the limey is like a smaller movie. So it could afford to not make a lot of money. Yes, but exactly. Then, but then traffic and Aaron Brockovich, Aaron Brockovich is a huge massive hit. smash. Yes. They and both they're both, nominated, and they're both set picture nominees. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, he basically makes Ocean's Eleven, which makes like 400 million worldwide or something. It's like, oh, he's a bakeable director now? That's what director the hell is this? Mm-hmm. Wait, is Brock Mitch a picture um, also or is it just director? I think it's just no, director. No, yes. he, he was, yeah, he was, he had double duty. Yes. Super director, director yep. but, it was, but not for, traffic was only for picture. Yes, right? yeah. Gladiator yeah. wins. Uh, yeah, Gladiator wins best picture. Uh, but it's Gladiator, Gladiator Traffic. He wins best director for traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of the nominee. It's it's traffic, gladiator, crouching tiger, crouching tiger head, chocolate, of course, water, like oh, yeah. water. Yeah, chocolate. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, five, I think. That's four. What's the fifth one? I don't think it's Brockovich, right? It's got to be something else. <laughs> I think it is Brockovich. Is it, it Brockovich? I'll, it... I'll check. Yeah, it was nominated for best picture that year. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, it was I remember thinking it was so year, weird yeah. that year that he didn't split the vote because you think yeah. he's yeah. gonna split his own vote and like uh, you know, Ang Lee is gonna you know win or, or, Ridley, or, Scott, or Scott. Ridley, Ridley Scott, Scott. yeah, Gladiator was going but through, but shockingly, it's like there were enough Steven Soderbergh fans that really, really like traffic, they all like traffic, didn't care really much good. about Aaron Brockovich, and also his um, best director speech is one of the best Oscar speeches, just throwing that out there, it's a really yes. good. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, remember, King of the Hill. <laughs> speaking of the King of the Hill, no. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think Aaron pretty much covered it. It is a thoughtful and nuanced coming of age story that doesn't rely on a bunch of prestigious adult character actors to sort of keep the kids afloat. And again, it's going back through this this summer. I'm reminded that you know Haley Joel Osment did not invent the good kid performance. At least in the modern age, there was a feeling, and yes, he was terrific. I think he won the Oscar that year. But there were other films coming out before where you had really strong leading work from, you know, kid actors. 
Um, even something like, you know, Free Willy, to use a more commercial example. Um, Last week, Bobby Fisher. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, like, I, um, hey you don't get to swim, fam, without King of the Hill. So. Exactly. <laughs> That's what they all say. But yeah, it's interesting as acclaimed as this picture was when it first came out. And again, it got rave reviews. You're right. It sort of feels like by default, I don't want to say lesser Soderbergh because it's a very good movie, but it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like his Cape fear and that it's so mainstream compared to everything else that he did that it almost risks being quote unquote underrated. You know, that it says something about his batting average, especially as he goes along that a film as good as this is considered one of his B efforts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is the one that I think you can tell, like when I'm watching it, like we have, you know, the first two and whatever comes after, but this is where you can tell he's more talented than most people because he's doing, he's got money this time around to make this picture and he's trying to make this standard picture, but he can't just, he can't just do that. Like this, this is for him like standard, but there's all these like interesting angles and camera pant. Like it looks very interesting compared to how anybody else would have done. I'm, I'm looking at it looking like, Oh, this looks lovely. It looks polished, but it plays it, it looks polished and stuff like a lot of people could have made this, but the way the camera moves and is set is more interesting and tells a lot different and better story. So therefore I know there's like somebody talented back here, not just, you know, the studio guy that can just make this traditional coming of age story. It's now looks more interesting and gives you a feeling and you can read a lot more into this just by choices made uh, with it. And Serberg, which I was surprised to find when I watched, I, I, popped on his interview uh on this disc to find he's not a big fan of this film and he feels he feels like he did it wrong he feels it should have been much more uh rough uh should have been more like rounded and uh gritty uh with everything uh like street, yeah he feels like he 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 made too much of a charm look to the depression um that nowadays he would have gone and done that but um I think here you that, that beat in the middle act where they take a boat and sail to an island mm-hmm. and bring back a giant gorilla just doesn't clash with the rest. Just really <laughs> no, with the rest. no. <laughs> but but if I was to like describe some of this That's movie, that's why Adrian Brody went back, right? Oh Jesus! I didn't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good. Uh, so this movie feels like it takes place in the world of a Coen Brothers movie, but with a different vibe. I was gonna say, like yeah. you mentioned, how it still looks really good. It's like saying like. Coen Brothers are obviously even more idiosyncratic than Soderbergh is, but yeah. like still, you can feel like a like a HUD sucker proxy. Where well, the if you if you drive down the street to the next city over, like Miller's excited. Crossing is happening, like yeah. that's that's <laughs> what it feels like. It, um, which explains the twist ending where the kid witnesses a murder and gets killed. Yeah, <laughs> to be continued to Miller's Crossing. Like uh, Jesse Bradford going back. Like I've never thought man about him, but like he gives a great child performance here in this movie. Like, cause he's got to carry it. Um, Amber Benson's really interesting to find here. Cause you know, um, I think I first came into like seeing her was like Buffy, the vampire slayer. Um, and that was neat to see her here. Karen Allen is obviously like the, we want to get somebody with a name in here, but don't have the money, but we can use her for the smaller part. Um, well, Spalding Gray, of course. Oh, yes, right. Hollywood heartthrob Spalding Gray. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, oh, and Crab, Crab, he's back to back weeks too, isn't he? Yes, uh, crazy. Uh, 
Go to uh, this summer. Go to the beach. Catch yourself some crabs. Um, something like that. Uh, Kafka also like so he's a Soderbergh guy, right? Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, this movie also made me appreciate air conditioning because everybody looks so like hot, sweaty with, movie with with no chance of escaping it. Like it is a sweaty, sweaty movie. But uh, yeah, it's it's the script is kind of straightforward. I do think, man, the the separating of the brother at the beginning was just heart breaking like it, it really that's really effective stuff right there for a character we barely get to yeah we've just met the family we've had the brothers for like a couple scenes and the separate like the way that not jesse bradford the kid playing his brother plays it just rips you rips you out too but um no this is a fun little movie i think a lot of people probably haven't checked it. it's hard to find i guess you have to own the criterion uh to watch it legally at it's this time channel Huh? Nope. It is no. It is. It is not on. I did, I checked when Scott was t- talking about having trouble finding it. It is nowhere available except for the Criterion Blu-ray, which is still is not out of print. You can still buy it at a good cost because you're getting two movies for the price of one. Because Steven Soderbergh's The Underneath is on there, and if that's not all, there's an interview with him about that movie specifically on there as well. So you get it all. But uh, yeah, this. I wish you had told me that before my robbery homicide. <laughs> life on the streets um i mean yeah yeah um but no the, yeah this this movie like i said uh most interesting thing to me was the craft of it when i was coming into this time around because you know i know you know knowing the story and stuff how it goes and plays drama well just looking at how he films this little world and I disagree with Steven Soderbergh. I think he did a fine job on this movie. I think this really shows where he set the pack, but he also, he also noted something uh, good about this. Like he's like, I came in hot, but like it took me a while to get going. I I was privileged with time and failures that most directors today don't get. Mm-hmm. He's like, I wouldn't have become who I am now because you need to hit on your first two films right away or something like that and he didn't for a while like he's like this one didn't do you know this didn't go well he's like i had to like find myself we don't give people time to find themselves anymore and i've heard that also said about the music industry like we wouldn't have like pink floyd if it was like today's record industry they would have been dumped after like their first two albums it took them many albums to find who they were um like the beastie boys like paul yeah a masterpiece but it was a flop compared to license to ill and then they right. kind of collaborated and well know. people didn't like pinkerton from weezer back in the day too and that's their like second best album and now <laughs> yeah. they get all the weezer they can handle so oh, you stupid god. now brandon yeah. oh my god all the weezer you can handle they also haven't been good since that one but well that's a mad they David. have their fans they have their fans yeah <laughs> true 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 but yeah king of the hill um very good very good most um, filmmakers would ennoble themselves by making a movie this good, but not Soderbergh. Is there a better scene of kids playing marbles than in this movie? Because I can't think of it. Nope, that's probably it. Maybe like an hour gang skit or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, those little rascal shorts from back in the day. I don't know. But, good uh, yeah. Cliff Martinez, by the way, too. Frequent collaborator of Soderbergh. Yep. I think he's he's doing like philip glass type stuff in this movie and it's like this is fun for cliff martinez who makes moodier music more often than mm-hmm. not. yeah uh you put this out today it's probably like oh it's an oscar picture right 
oh yeah this would be you know a uh a um a24 release and uh mm-hmm. you know, harkens back to the old times and yeah because this is just put out just because i don't think anybody made this with the intention of that they just wanted to connect with an audience <laughs> like that's it that's all this this movie is made for yeah, you read a book and he's like i'm putting this together <laughs> you know what? P- people might like this they might go see this. They might come up to the box office and be like, I read that book. It's good. I'll make sure to get Spalding Gray in there to get the box office ducats, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Himself. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Game Hill, good stuff. Um, years later, uh, the television ad- animated television adaptation would come. Uh, a lot it's not of- too faithful, I've a heard. Lot of, a lot of changes. A lot of changes made. They moved it to Texas. Um, it's one of the big changes. About oil, uh, gas station or po- propane, right? Propane, propane, and propane accessories. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, but that was on TV. Which uh, TV this week, guys? From a true story, three women seduced by his charm. He's wonderful. Trapped by his lies. I need twenty-five thousand dollars more. There's hardly any risk at all. Taken for everything they had. I am completely ruined. You go to the police and you'll live to regret it. But he never thought they would get even. We have to work together. Linda Gray, Heather Locklear, Tracy Nelson. I'll be damned if he is going to take anything from me. Their revenge was his worst nightmare. John Schneider is the Highway Heartbreaker. Next on the CBS Sunday Movie. This we the go. Walk up, the walk up to it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, we have number one this week. And this is what people are watching. 60 minutes on CBR. Number two. It's that. Uh, get ready, Aaron. Home Improvement. <laughs> on ABC. We like Al. Uh, and then number number three, Dateline on NBC. Number four, Primetime Live on ABC. Number five, 2020 on ABC now. Well, number, well all, number, th- huh? all three of those shows had to be covering the Oslo Accords like nonstop. Though, it so that- was. And then they were stayed tuned for the missing rover that was yeah. killing everybody. Um, <laughs> number six is now. <laughs> <laughs> What if the rover was missing and it became like a chopping mall situation? So it's, it's just like it's so it's Red Planet is basically the movie I'm thinking. Where, where do you think all the Martians went? Where, <laughs> I don't do, like where, that one. where do you think all the Martians went? Where and the astronauts with the rover, you know? That's I like Red Planet too, but now we should definitely make a version of Red Planet that's basically chopping mall but on Mars. Like that should be the movie. Who's not gonna pay for that? Yeah, I need to see it. I need to see it. Uh sold. Sold. Uh, number six now with Tom Brokaw and Katie Couric on NBC. When's that air? Soon. Now. Hold it. Hold on. No. Hold. Soon. Wait. Wait. 1993. That's okay. when it aired. So it's, it's all over. <laughs> uh, number seven, Seinfeld on NBC. And number eight, we have a tie all the way to 10th place. A three-way tie. Oh, boy. Or no, four-way tie. It looks, oh yeah, four four way tie, God. or something. No, okay, it's it's a four way tie. So we go past ten. Hope Roseanne, so. Roseanne on ABC. Just as many people were interested in unsolved mysteries on NBC, they were also interested in a TV movie from 1992 that was rerunning called Highway Heartbreaker. 
Okay. Which is about a slick, immoral con man Mickey is out to fleece attractive women, but three of them join forces to bring him to justice. And this stars John Schneider, Dukes of Hazard, Smallville, Linda Gray, Heather Locklear, Dee Dee Pfeiffer, and Tracy Nelson. And it was directed by Paul Schneider. I wonder if he's related to John. Later remade as a cinematic classic, John Tucker must die. It has Brock <laughs> Peters. It, oh, yeah, Brock Peters. Okay. So this guy, yeah, this guy. Unsolved Mysteries hasn't popped up in our rankings more often. It has. We solved a lot of mysteries in the spring. Yeah. That's true. It, it It's popped up here and then. We don't uh, need your help anymore. We've solved all the mysteries. So CBS. Including the UFOs. And the Mars rover. Um, so on CBS <laughs> as well, there was if a. If you've seen the Mars rover, call Unsolved Mysteries at 1819, whatever the fuck the number is. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, there's a mini series that tied up in here, one of the episodes of it. Ned Blessing, The Story of My Life and Times. And this is from 93. So this is brand new airing. The intriguing tale of where. The good guy isn't always good begins in the Spartan cell of a small town. Old Ned Blessing, having lived a long and tumultuous life, awaits a rendezvous with the hangman's noose while waiting to pay for his doings and misdeeds. He is spending his last days writing an account of his exploits. This is a Western starring Brad Johnson, Luis Avalos, Brenda Baki, Rob Campbell, Richard Reel. He's in it. <laughs> Big really summer. Big Ma- Bill McKinney. And uh, yeah, Stephen Fry shows up for one of these. So good. Uh, Brad Leland. Uh, that's that's William Sanderson. He's in it too. Okay. All right. So yeah, that's that's this. Uh, this was uh, the number, you know, tied up the four-way tie that everybody just couldn't get out of their recliners for. I wonder if William Sanderson plays a nervous fellow that you can't quite trust. All signs point mm, to yes. Yeah, possibly. 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 If uh, you know the solution to that mystery, call 1-800-876-5353. You need not leave your name. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> you know, at the end of every every episode of Mysteries, there's uh, Robert Stack. He's like, perhaps someone out there watching tonight have a clue to lead... Uh, to lead, help lead and solve the investigation. Perhaps that someone is you. Is you. Boom, boom. Solution to one of these mysteries. Perhaps that person is you. Is you. Well, it was never you. me. <laughs> someone yeah. went. Someone went and saw uh, this this uh, this movie, this new Rob Schneider movie that came out this weekend in the in nineteen ninety three. I don't know anybody. But perhaps it also wasn't me. It was you. Was it you? You? Surf ninjas. They're three California kids. Hey, surf! Who've just been given the power of the ninja. It's your destiny. Now, kill him. Whether they like it or not. Uh, Wow. They're America's newest secret weapon. There's dynamite here. We'll throw it at him. Surf Ninjas. I love the part when I was like... Ah! Rated PG. Oh, sorry. Starts Friday, August 20th at a theater near you. 
directed by Neil Israel, written by Dan Gordon, starring Uri Reyes Jr. and Sr., Rob Snyder, Dickless Cowan, John Carlin, Philip Tan, Tone, Tone Loke. <laughs> Big Tone Summer. Oh, that's also the weightlifting uh, motto, too. Uh, Keon Young and Kelly Hugh. Two boys learn and from- Leslie Nielsen and Leslie <laughs> Nielsen. <laughs> oh my gosh, they're all here. Two boys learn from a mysterious warrior that they are heirs to the throne of the Patusan and set out to overthrow the current monarchy. So, uh, Rob Schneider and Pauly Shore, what a summer we have had! Both those guys. So, uh, Israel. Neil Israel here. He wrote Police Academy, Bachelor Party, Real Genius, Look Who's Talking Too. He wrote that. And uh, director-wise, does lots of family or kids TV. Uh, Gordon, the writer, he was the director on this. And then Bob Shea fired him. But he wrote uh, Gotcha. He wrote 36 episodes of Highway to Heaven and was the story editor for 78. Wrote two episodes of Highlander. But... He gets a he gets a lifetime pass because he wrote Passenger Fifty Seven. Uh, he wrote Wyatt Earp. He wrote The Hurricane. He wrote he had a story by credit on uh, Rambo: Last Blood. And this year he wrote Big George Foreman. So he this 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 movie generates. Okay, so I I looked. I don't know why I looked into this movie so much. There's a genesis of this movie from this short-lived television show in the 1980s called sidekicks not to be confused with the chuck norris jonathan brandis <laughs> masterpiece available now on 4k ultra hd from vinegar syndrome uh um, you need not leave your name you need not leave your name sidekick show of the 80s gordon wrote it and ernie reyes jr starred in it as like a kid and it featured this country of patterson the the made up one for this that was made up here for this movie so there's a connection there and then he was going to direct this movie and bring Ernie Reyes here and then there was a casting disagreement with Bob Shea and Bob Shea fired him so that's what happened so he had a lot of faith in New Line in in Surf Ninjas for New Line he was really yeah (laughs) this comes in so this is this odd time where like Ninja Turtles is a big hit and this is the kind of shit we get after it. Like we get like this, we get like three ninjas. Do you remember those? That's Disney, Ro- yeah. Rocky, Tum Tum, and yep. whatever. And then and then this. This is and is the other one. Colts, yeah. Uh yeah. Isn't so they're like surf ninjas on stupid mountain or something. That's three no, ninjas, high noon, with Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan and, okay, and yeah, Jim yeah. Varney as the villain. That's the fourth one. Um okay. Yeah, so the, the like the ninja thing <laughs> kicks off kids ninja movies, not like the '80s where we had like Franco Nero playing a ninja, and then we had, like had all these canon ninja movies. No, kids <laughs> comedy <laughs> ninja movies, um, and they're trying to make Ernie Reyes Jr. a thing after Ninja Turtles two. They found they had they thought they had some star power in him. Um, I will say. Um, Rob Schneider is actually part Latina or part Filipino. Filipino, yeah. So yeah, but so that's fine. But he's thirty in this playing a teenager. That's insane. <laughs> I mean, the level of humor he's giving off really rings true. Right. All right. So- Sadly, that happens a lot in YA, you know, 
comedy dramas these days. So Scott, why was this I one of your Google the age? Yes. Why was this one of your favorite movies of the summer? Well, isn't that a mystery? Speaking of mysteries, if you can solve why I love three ninjas, call 1-800-876-5353. You need That's not great. your name. But I want to hear about surf ninjas. Oh, it fucking sucks. <laughs> it's the cinematic equivalent of a mysterious death. Um, <laughs> no, I had never actually seen this movie because even back then I had standards. Um and I admit I was curious to re, you know, to quote unquote revisit it. And I, but it is just, it's not good. It's dull. It's, what's the term? It's, it's shit. Amateurish. Thank you. Sorry. I couldn't get that one out. And as much as I give credit to a film starring a bunch of not a white guy leads in 1993, I wish it were better. And the the kid, I mean, uh, it's no secret I do not like Teenage Ninja Turtles: The Secret of the Use, but he's pretty good. Pretty resilient. I mean, he he, mm-hmm. he does what he can with a with a media, you know, a wish fulfillment fantasy kind of part. And he was uh like promoted from turtle to like human, right? Yeah, I believe yeah, so. Donatello yeah. stunt double in the yeah. first turtles, and he became a live yeah. action character. Um, yeah. and the film, I mean. On one hand, I guess it would be interesting to cast Leslie Nielsen as a relatively straight dramatic dictator because, you know, he was an actor, you know, a serious dramatic actor before mm-hmm. the spoofs of the 80s. That was kind of the gimmick that the Zuckers would cast, you know, intentionally cast bad actors from the old days and have them play it super straight in a slapstick environment. Before he was um, an airplane, he was a beside adventure. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was an airplane, Robert Stack of Unsolved Mysteries. Yes, he was. Very solved. Um, but, you know, the action is relatively indifferent. The movie, it's such a stereotypical what you think of when you think of a kid's film from this era, in that it feels like it's not, I don't want to say it's not trying, because obviously the act, you know, people are giving it their all, but there's a certain who gives a shit mentality where the most important thing about this film is that kids will laugh at some of the slapstick jokes and there's nothing objectionable in it that's going to make parents complain. And in retrospect, I'm not surprised that it flopped because even in the summer of 93, if you're a kid going to the movies, you can see, you know, in August of, of 1993, you can see Jurassic Park, you can see Rookie of the Year, you can see Hocus Pocus, you can see The Fugitive if you're a little bit older, you can see Free Willy. If you live in the right art house area, you can see Searching for Bobby Fisher. There is no need for any child in the summer of 1993 to be so desperate for family-friendly fare that they show up for surf ninjas. And to their credit, they didn't. All right. Yeah. Aaron? Well, I'm glad we finally found a kid's movie that Scott hates more than Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. I mean, yeah. <laughs> fuck those dwarves. Um, so this is, I think... Sorry, what, that's the porn version. I think this is one of the few movies where my age actually does apply to why we differ on these. Now, that's not going to be me standing up and saying this is an amazing film and you guys are ridiculous. That's not what I'm saying. I haven't told my own man my opinion on this yet. Fair enough. But I do like I I do give it. Am I gonna be credit. fucking outnumbered on surf ninjas? I do. I better not be fucking outnumbered on surf ninjas. He's worried about being House of Cards to here. 
I do give it the credit for the things that you highlighted that I do think work about it. I, for one thing, I don't think it's dull. Like I've, I've seen plenty of movies on this show alone that I were dull to me. There's never like this movie's not long and it never bored me watching it. I, I'm not gonna say I grew up with this movie, but I've seen it several times when I was younger and I haven't seen it in decades since, but watching it again, again, I'm not going to say it's necessarily good, but I do think there's something endearing about the fact that it is amateurish, honestly. Uh, I feel like it's so pushed back against the wall as far as having very little budget to work with, despite wanting to play at a somewhat large scale as far as being a globetrotting, you know, kids adventure film that I kind of chuckle at the idea of them tr- attempting to stage fight scenes that were, I believe, shot in like one take and they had to move on because it doesn't have the means to do anything. They else. shot it in five weeks. There you go. Um, you know, trying to incorporate like surfing and the notion of ninjas into this movie, like like the 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 willingness of them to go for something. I like that more than other kids' movies I see because they don't feel as ambitious as as something like that. Now, saying ambitious is a big statement because yes, it's not good particularly, and the humor, even as a kid, I can't recall like specifically laughing at many of the jokes that are in this movie. There's other things I laughed at because something like Tony Loke saying brothers don't surf is very funny to me. But, you know, anything Rob Schneider's doing, not so much. And I don't know why he has red hair, but I guess that was cool. Um, Helps him look younger, probably. I I, I guess that's the best. And if he talks like this, it could sound a little... (laughs) But there's things like a Game Gear that predicts the future or (laughs) any number of things involving the backstory about these chosen ones that Ernie Rice Sr. reads off of so much sincerity that I don't know. It just has a certain kind of appeal that makes me not hate this movie. Add to that, yes, it is a film that's led by minorities. I mean, that's not nothing. And I do admire that. I do admire thinking about the idea that this movie came out at a time when that's not a regular thing. And it aims for anything, really. It has this weird backstory that it seems to want to cash in on in some degree to make something that's unique into itself. If you're bored, you're bored by it. That's not going to help you. Like, if you think it's bored, then nothing else is really going to work for you. But, like, I... I get enough out of it as far as, okay, I get where like an appeal for this would come from. It's not entirely successful at doing that, but I still think there's compared to other kids films that I had friends that certainly liked that I did not like, I can see what attracts me to something like this by comparison. Leslie Nielsen wasted. Uh, I could not, I remembered him being in this movie I remembered him having like a like a half a face, but I couldn't remember like how much he was really in this movie. So watching it again, I'm like, oh, so he was on like for two days and then that's it, right? <laughs> like he just kind of has nothing to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will I will also speak up for Ernie Rise Jr. because I do think he's a legit talented guy. I like seeing him when he pops up and things. He's been in scattered stuff here or there. He's in like pool hall junkies for some reason. He's in the rundown. He had a reality show I watched in the OO. Yeah. It was about like a ninja. It was I, I don't like yeah. reality TV, but I Me liked either. his ninja show. It was really cool. Yeah. I because I I think he has the kind of charisma that I can understand why they wanted to start banking off him. It didn't pay off in a substantial way, but like I get it. Like I get where this guy's coming from. And I I don't know. There's just something that's like goofily likable, despite not being in a very successful film that I was still like happy to be like, okay, I get it. This isn't good, but like, I'm happier revisiting this than revisiting some of the other stuff that we've watched for this show. 
Yeah, I was I was looking forward to like revisiting this one because it's such a wacky title, or whatever, and I didn't really remember. But man, it blew. Um, I could. Um, if I so, I what I remembered like three ninjas. I like I that was one I. I, I one. I don't yeah. know what the obsession with was with like, hey, kids doing karate stuff on adults and beating them up. Like that was the thing that we apparently thought was cool, or they wanted us to think was cool. If I hadn't, so I used to have these um, parties back, you know, before I had children that were uh, bad movies, bad movie parties or whatever. And one time I showed Three Ninjas because I'm like, this is legit crazy. Like that they put this together and stuff. So that one, a little bit more firmly in the brain, but I could see myself mixing up stuff that happened in surf ninjas and three ninjas. They look like ever, like the aesthetic of them, the places they shoot all just generic places that they could be either movie and the characters feel similar. Um, the humor's the same. Like they're almost, almost feel interchangeable. Uh, you mentioned turtles home alone is the other big influence on this. Yeah. Series. Home alone too. Yeah. There's the home alone influence. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Correct there. Uh, but like it is, this is just like, I nah. like Leslie Nielsen had my interest whenever he showed up. Cause I'm like, this is fucking crazy. Like, and Nielsen's really like, he, I think he really got excited by this role for some reason. Like I could be like, I have a mask on. And so he's he to dress up and stuff. Like he yeah. gets to do things that is, you know, <laughs> but the fighting's eh, like, I mean, they could like Reyes has moves and stuff, but they just don't. Yeah, he poor bastard never worked with like a great director to really showcase his talents. That's, that's the rundown he gets that, his stuff to do. The yeah, rundown he gets, uh, stuff yeah, physical, but that's way past time to they were trying to make him a star, though. That's oh, yeah, sure, yeah, almost 10 years later. So, like, right now in the exactly moment, 10 years later, yeah, right now in the moment. He needs to be working with somebody better. Like he'd probably have been better off at Canon Films. Like that's probably, but they were in the tank here at this. You're point, probably but... too short for Ryu. Right? Yeah. Fight, street fight of the movie. True. True. Um, or Luke Kang. Um, in Mortal Luke Kombat. Kang, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Rob Schneider sucks in here. Uh, mm. and it's just weird. I'm like, how? Like, I was watching. I'm like, like, how the fuck old? What? Like, this is. Like he's either still on SNL or about to leave at this point. And I was like, he can't be like, he couldn't have joined SNL when he was like 18. Like there's no, Oh, he's 30, 30. And I'm like, this is just bothering me. I don't know why I cared, but I was like, this is just, what did he feel like being on the set of Cirrus Ninjas? No wonder he like had drug and alcohol. Like, what am I doing here? Like, Yeah, I'm sorry that you like, feel bad for Rob Schneider. Well, I mean, we know he's what he's become, <laughs> but could have like, saved him, Aaron. We could have saved him. This is that Marvel villain backstory where it's like, oh man, this is oh, but yeah. Why like, is it Tony Stark's fault? Right. <laughs> right. Oh gosh. But yeah, so I like I was as much as I was looking forward to this one, like 10 minutes in, I'm like, ah shit. I just it, it I, it did nothing for me and I wanted like at least I wanted to be Aaron like well you know this 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 but it was just not working I'll give him don't be too I'm impressed with five weeks to film an action movie like this they got something like coherent and passably fine on a visual level put together that's 
something because I saw five weeks. I was like, oh, shit, that, that's not enough time to do like uh, like a sequence almost like nowadays. But I, I do think like I'm not, it's not nearly on this level, but I do think there's a scrappiness to it that reminds me of like Bill and Ted's bogus journey as far as. There's a, like you said, Scott, there's a kind of I don't give a shit kind of logic to it. Although I think those, the Bill and Ted builders are smarter than I think we know this now. But Bogus Journey rocks. They're smarter than they're given credit for as far as the logic that goes into them. But I do mm-hmm. think the, you know, when you see things like the evil us's in, in, in Bill and Ted, it's like that's clearly working with like the means they have to do something. And I think this film is operating on a similar level. It's like, we can only do so much. So we'll like we'll make weapons, we'll use our game gear, we'll create something called Moto Surf and just kind of acknowledge this kind of world we've created we've developed for the lore of this film, despite not having like any money or any real sense of how to really accomplish that on a greater level. Again, it's not as good as those other movies that I can think of, but I do think there's this there's a can-do spirit, I guess, that gives me... It makes me give it more benefit of the doubt compared to a movie like Benefit of the Doubt. Uh, like, so it's... <laughs> <laughs> That's my bad movie to love this summer, yes. I, I'm, I, I backed myself into that by accident, and then it <gasps> totally paid off. <laughs> but, um... Well, you know, we mentioned... They can't all be the life of David Gale. <laughs> this, was, this was supposed to incorporate a Game Boy... But Sega came in and helped finance this movie, yeah. so it became a Game Gear, which Sega was very proponent. We mentioned with Cliffhanger, the game was Sega CD. So this yeah. is the Sega Summer, or we could go Summer. <laughs> Take that, Nintendo, who fought this summer. <laughs> summer. Summer. Uh, but yeah, so remember, like, Sega does what Nintendo don't. What, what Nintendo don't. Yeah. Oh, I think I got that right. I got that and then, right. and this game, this was an actual game on the Game Gear that yeah. wasn't like, didn't really, was it like you couldn't play as Rob Schneider, right? Like it wasn't like, no, you're not playing was, as Rob Schneider in the game. Yeah. So I had the Game Gear also, by the way. I had a Game Gear as well. Like I, I thought it was the most underutilized. Like I don't understand why more kids didn't flock to Game Gears. They gave like color. It had like I don't know. It was, because it because it was it's bigger and it needs six yeah. batteries. It's, it did need a, a lot weird, of batteries. It's a weird device where Game Boy. I mean, if you've seen the Tetris biopic like I have, I mean, let me tell yeah. you, it, it really emphasizes why it was a killer AP. Like it, it does what it yeah. needs. To. True, it's true, small, true. It has it has Tetris. It's all you need. <laughs> Very true. If I recall, and I think part of it was that the Game Boy came out first. And everybody got a Game Boy, and there's only so many yeah. households are like, okay, we'll give you another handheld video game system. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I recall, Game Boy had really, really good black and white graphics yeah. versus Game Gear, which had meh, meh, color graphics. Um, but I could be mistaken on that. No, they were fine. I didn't, th- I didn't see a problem with the color graphics. I think that's the, the former idea as far yeah. as. How many handheld devices can you have? The answer was two. I had Game Boy. All my mom had a Game yeah. Boy. I made her Game Boy. But uh, still, by the way, this movie did poorly. Yes, I'm not going to say it's entirely because of this, but also New Line like did nothing to promote it, like nothing mm. at all. So it's like they, they actually <laughs> opened it like two weeks early in the middle of they you know, op- a random quote unquote flyover state to build word of mouth, which is really weird. It was Evansville, Indiana, Scott. That's where people surf. Yes. (laughs) 
they, they did, <laughs> they're I trying did. to get that son-in-law audience that they, they've been introduced to the surfer ways of Polly Shore. They're like, oh, here's a movie for you guys. Here yeah, they, they did two. They did two of them for what I was reading. They did one in Evansville, Indiana, and I did one somewhere in Texas or something like that. Just to... Which, jokes aside, that's actually a neat idea. That's what they should I, do because they I like that it. in theory. They try to do that. They try to do those test screenings and stuff in like Los Angeles by just like profiling people and inviting them to be like, oh, that they look like Joe Midwest. Come on in here. Let's. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure those 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 cities in the Midwest are hot spots for Filipino audiences too. The viewer is a white male between the age of eighteen and thirty-four with a normal blue-collar job and high intelligence. I'm not going to spend five minutes doing that. He's escalating wheels up in 30. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> All right. So Aaron has just revealed his pick for movie of the summer, 1993. As we go on. Uh, no how high this might be on my, on my litter box list that I've been making and organizing. It's, yes. It's not low. But that way. Okay. The fugitive can go to hell. Yep. Fugitive just got passed. <laughs> or the surf. Yeah. I take it if I did not enjoy surf ninjas, I should not watch three ninjas. Would I be correct with that? You could probably just go on ahead and skip it. Because like it's not fantastic. Like I'm I'm so I'm not a nostalgic guy. Like, so it's like I, I don't try to like keep my my childhood's not really in mind when it comes to this kind. Of, I know we're having way too much of a discussion here. Oh, but I guess, it, yeah. But it like I, I could. I'm not gonna say I like Three Ninjas, but it's on par for sure. But I do think it's more successful in that idea than this movie is in its idea. Plus, it's John, it's it's John Turtletub, so you know <laughs> it's got that. Yeah. I I showed my kids Three Ninjas actually. And I'm remembering this because um, I was like, ah, let's see what they think of that. You know, I ain't give a shit. It's corny as fuck. Kid, like it doesn't care. work on a kid now. Like, I didn't care. <laughs> I ain't care. They didn't care. So they won't be seeing like, the kids ninjas. get Avengers Infinity War now. They don't need three ninjas. <laughs> and, it's, and they've got, you know, they, if you can't get um, Pat Morita, you get Victor Wong and right. three ninjas. Like, so. True. True, true, true. Tremors Victor Wong. Tremors. Yeah. <laughs> Big Trouble Little China's Victor Wong. Yeah, yes. Um, okay. So let, let's, let's let the surf just. Wipe out there. Um, as that, which was a, a hit song back in the day, which put the hit songs here back in this day of '93. Uh, as we hit the Casey Kasem top forty. Casey's biggest hits. Here are the the ten, the top ten songs with number one. Can't help falling in love by UB40. Sitting there, pretty number one, number two. Whoop! There it is by tag team. Uh, number three, I'm gonna be 500 miles from the Proclaimers. Number four, Slam by Onyx. <laughs> number five, Lately by Joe C. And number six, Week by SWV. Number seven, If I Had No Loot by Tony. 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 Number eight, Runaway Train by Soul Asylum. Entering the top ten, or top ten, rocking out to those runaway kids. Yeah, yeah. call that number. They're probably gonna die. Robert's Their parents are so sad. Robert Stack probably did a story on a few of those. <laughs> Hold on, shit, I, yeah, yeah. 
If you see any of these kids, call 1-800-876-5353. You need not leave your name. Everyone watching the YouTube version of this could see that Scott was called a narc at every concert he went to. Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. So number nine, Dream Lover by Mariah Carey. And number 10, If by Janet Jackson. Yeah. So uh, as we head on from the Surf Ninjas, uh, we head to... to be fair is better than Surf Nazis Must Die. Yes. That's worth. All right. Uh, Yep. But Scott has been all about unsolved mysteries so far this this week. So we will find one that's been solved in Manhattan murder mystery. I mean, we could be living next door to a murderer. Well, New York is a melting pot. When a neighbor's wife died, she had a heart attack. She's dead. Carol knew it was murder. What do you mean you snuck into his apartment? Are you nuts? So did Ted and Marsha. He's gotten away with murder. Our only chance is to nab him. I'm a detective. They, they, they lowered the height requirement. Now it's Larry who feels like murder. Hey, Larry, relax. Now, you just don't panic, okay? Manhattan Murder Mystery, rated PG. Starts Friday in select theaters. Uh, directed by Woody Allen, written by Woody Allen, Marshall Brickman, starring Woody Allen, Diane Keaton, Alan Alda, Angelica Houston, Jerry Adler, Lynn Cohen, Ron Rifkin, Jay, Joy Bahar, Melanie Norris, Marge Redmond. You'll see his appearance by Zach Braff, Ida Turturro, and Wendell Pierce. A middle-aged couple suspects foul play when their neighbor's wife suddenly drops dead. Woody Allen made this as a throwback to the Thin Man movies with uh, Vertigo, Lady from Shanghai, and Double Indemnity uh, being uh, put upon influence here. This is a long gestating script from him. Uh, Jates back to early drafts of Annie Hall in the 1970s. And these are there's bits from the original Annie Hall script tossed in here. Um this is one of the first. Uh, this uh, role Keaton's playing was supposed to be Mia Farrow. Uh, what happened? They, uh, apparently, their relationship <laughs> didn't work out. Um, didn't work out. Uh, I hope they can still be friends. They might. <laughs> oh, that's. We'll see. Well, she apparently. Rumor had there's word that she showed up to shoot this oh. movie. Um, and. Uh, then um, Keaton comes on. She rewrote the part. She's uncredited, but Woody Allen said she's much. He said she's funnier than Mia, and she's funnier than me. So I am. He let her have at it with uh, this part to change it from what Mia had on. Which I I've always thought it's not a like, bird either. That's it's not a, it's not a bird. It's just talking <laughs> thing. And Mia's got Mia has talent. Um, I also I think like Mia has a chemistry with alan that's only matched by keaton when they're in movies together like she brings a, she has her own flavor but she brings a lot of what diane keaton can spar with woody allen in a scene together they that's they work really together really well together and they did a fuckload of movies together they did more than diane like 13 keaton's like yeah it's yeah um and but she has the cadence like she's able to give you what you would want out of Diane Keaton in addition to like her own talents here. So, you know, Manhattan murder mystery with Mia Farrow probably still plays pretty, pretty darn good here. He um, knows how to go broader. That's the thing. And that's when it comes to the comedy aspect of it, where I can see, you can see the difference, but I, I agree with you. I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
but yeah, like for those of you who would be interested in checking this movie, this movie out, if you are a fan of only murders in the building on Hulu kids, then this is this, that clearly that show clearly enjoys this, this movie. But Aaron, let's start with you here on Manhattan murder mystery. Where are you at with this one? So I've, I want to say I've seen like 75% of Woody Allen's films. Um, Like I'm a fan of, like his movies um, from very all various eras since he's been doing this since the crazy. He's back <laughs> here. Summer of 82 at 40 had a Woody Allen movie around this time of year or no, he had, it was July. Now he's here in August, 11 years later. So this one's 82 uh, midsummer night, sex comedy. Yeah, I was say star dust. Yeah. Midsummer. Okay. That yep. makes sense. Um, so like, this is one I hadn't seen. Oh, uh, really? I, had, I hadn't seen the hand. Oh. Okay. Uh, which is bizarre to me because it feels like one that would have been up my alley to catch earlier than later. Um, but it is one that I've certainly known about for years because I've known about Annie Hall, like being this entirely other thing for a while where it had a murder mystery and then that was taken out of it. And it, it's always fascinated me as far as Woody Allen, who like you talked about, we talk about like Soderbergh not being satisfied King of the Hill. Woody Allen's a guy who's famously generally not very happy with his with his movies, let alone his performances in movies. But he does think of this one as one of his best mm-hmm. uh, movies. Like you know, yeah, it's like, top five of his, right? Along yeah. with like Purple Rose of Cairo and Match Point, among others. Um, so you know, getting to finally see what became of this aspect of a story, a murder mystery. Uh, for one thing, I think this movie is really fun. This is a super fun movie. Um, it's the last Keaton Woody collaboration, which is for now. For, for now, sure. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, whatever. Club three, whatever. Like Iceland or someone funds another one of them, they right? Uh, but this this movie's super fun. I I enjoyed the mystery a lot as far as how it's presented because it's a movie that doesn't forget to be both a mystery or a Woody Allen movie and the way it's able to balance those things two things I think is very impressive because it has the staples of a talky comedy of nebbishy New Yorkers <laughs> doing things mm-hmm. that is very engaging and fun at the same time it has a legit mystery as, that's very like you know, indebted to Hitchcock, let alone Wells with the, and then double it, like what it's doing with noir and stuff that gets you intrigued as far as what's the answer here. Like, why are the things happening the way they are? And the fact that the movie is able to stop and go back a second to explain certain things to make sure you're, you're keeping up the way it does that without being feeling didactic is impressive. Um, this cast is what, because it's what, why wouldn't it be? This cast is wonderful. I, I love that out Al, whenever Alan Alda's in a Woody Allen movie, it feels like Alan Alda was born to be like the, the the guy that's just slightly better than Woody. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> he's a guy that's like, he's like more handsome, more charming, generally like at, at least pseudo smarter. Like Crimes and Misdemeanors, the, the best example of this because he's fucking amazing in that movie. Mm-hmm. But like he, here he is here playing this like cad who clearly harbors feelings for Diane King's character, but he can't have her. Um, but he's openly flirting with her at all costs. But he's also like a guy that's really excited about this mystery. It's so exciting. <laughs> they're like, we're really excited. There's a, there's something happening because our lives are so like, whatever right now. And Woody Allen is playing Woody Allen to a T. Uh, and, and I haven't done It's been a minute since I like rewatched a Woody Allen movie to get like pure, like Allen being this, this character. So mm-hmm. seeing him be like, so worried and you know anxious about the idea of his wife investigating a neighbor who maybe murdered somebody is really fun to watch 
And then, like, on top of that, they're like, let's throw an Angelica Houston, like a few others, just to, like, have some yeah. extra fun here. Like, this movie just, it it moves really, it's really snappy. Thin Man is an exact reference point that works for this. Like, I get it completely. I mean, mm-hmm. they're named, like, Nick and Nora. I mean, so, like, it, it yeah, this, it, I had a lot of fun with this movie. I was very happy I finally watched it. I'm very happy that it, you know, cinematically, and this is a period where Woody's, I mean, he's always experimenting a little bit. But, like, Shadows and Fog had come out, like, a couple years ago, and that's, yep. like, experiment on his part this one i'm not gonna say it's breaking ground but like there's a lot of like handheld stuff here and like some choices being made camera wise that yeah I there's re- there's uh keaton when she comes out and sees the neighbor across the street and he does the zooms yeah it's got uh, like yeah. some some set like I mean, it feels like he's just now doing like 70s paranoia stuff in his movies and i was it, it caught me off guard and it feels authentic in a really interesting yeah. way yeah the finale like, with the mirrors and stuff does not feel like it, it does and doesn't feel like Woody Allen. Like he's clearly yeah, it's like he's, he's really aiming. Like I, he's aiming for something. It seems as a director to be like I could just do this plane, or I could have the camera lingering in spots where it kind of like drifts over here to show you something, and then drifts back. Like it's just it was it was neat to see. I didn't expect that aspect of this movie. So like, yeah, he thought this one at like when you watch his movies, there's a relaxed feeling about them. Like I'm sure he obsesses and thinks about angles and all sorts of things like that. But this is the one where it feels most obvious that he really paid attention to some craft here. And you're like, like you notice it a lot more. Cause it's like a, it's a slapstick comp. Like, you know, it's not like purple rose of Cairo is such high concept or mm-hmm. sleeper. Even like there's, I there's stuff there where it's not surprising to see choices being made as a director. Yeah. That- like the, the concept going on this is like you know this could have been just a slapstick kind of like farce uh mm-hmm. that didn't require a kind of extra technical edge and yet it is here so that yeah, yeah i think it stands out and that for that reason yeah scott uh big fan um no it's funny uh, i thought i Manhattan had seen Mirror this. To mystery big fan is summer of uh 20 20- <laughs> It's like 06 maybe with Pat yeah Muslim. yeah so i'm summer of 06 <laughs> yeah um it's funny. I had not seen this before. I thought I had, but then I realized I was thinking of Small Time Crooks, oh, um, okay. which would come out seven years later. I like and this that is one another. Too. Ex- yeah. Oh yeah, that's a lot of fun. And that those are both, I would argue, examples of more explicitly commercial Woody Allen pictures. Mm-hmm. In sure. terms of, without getting to the discourse for a second, if you want to show, you know, show a Woody Allen film to somebody that maybe isn't a Woody Allen fan, this film is very welcoming and inviting and user-friendly in terms of it being both a prototypical Woody Allen comedy while also being a pretty well-made murder mystery. And you guys have already talked about this. There's a scene where she's sneaking around his apartment in the first end of first act, beginning of second act, where it feels like a 90s thriller. I mean, yeah, the way it's yeah. shot, the way it's composed, the way you know, the way, the way she turns around her hair, you know, wishes, and it's like, is this sliver all of a sudden? but good. Um, <laughs> and I think the film was very much supposed to be, you know, it was supposed to remind you of Annie Hall. It's sort of a throwback to before Woody, the Woody Allen serious movies almost overpowered and overwhelmed the pure romps because this one is a pure romp and that's not even an insult because it's very good. But I think even then it was sort of seen as, you know, just a jolly farce. But I think I'm shocked at how well it works as a mystery. And without going into details, because I think people should watch this film if they haven't seen it, uh, the solution is actually very clever. 
Mm-hmm. And you're right about Alan Arkin. He always just comes up, you know, Woody all plus the, sort of. All the, all the shit. Sorry. Um, but so, yeah, you know, not having seen this picture, but knowing about it and knowing what it was trying to do back, you know, 30 years ago, uh, I had a good time with this one. And it is fun watching because you're right, even though, you know, it's been 30 years, Jesus, even then he wasn't playing that Woody persona all that often. Mm-hmm. Either he was star- he was directing films that he was not featured in or he was starring in some somewhat more serious pictures. And, you know, this would be just a year before Bullets Over Broadway, which was, sorry, yes. I was going to say, because he's like, here he gets to be married with Keaton for a change, as opposed yeah. to being... Yes. Like, this is the only film in. they're married in when they're yeah. in a film together. Yeah. And even, and like, because, even the other films before that, they're, they're, you know, it's him where he's usually in some kind of romantic predicament, where he's just divorced somebody, or he's chasing after somebody, generally Mia Farrow, or whatnot. Like, here's a version where he's comfortable in life at this point which is rare for woody i would say well we're also dropping in the 90s which is the point where he starts stepping out of his pictures but there's a, there's there there's a plant in there that's basically yeah. him like cusack yes. broadway's yeah. Branna and celebrity Jesse like eisenberg yeah uh, yeah there's um and yeah because i mean he's he's outgrowing the prototypical woody allen character but because this story is about an older married couple it works you mm-hmm. can you know have your cake and eat it too um, and so in that sense, I, I, you know, I, I had a really good time with this one. Yeah. I, this is one of my all time favorite Woody Allen movies. Um, if I, you know, put in a list, I don't top five, maybe top five to 10 or something like around there. I, I think this is like a lot of fun. Like I said, the craziest thing is that the mystery really works and the solution worked like everything. It didn't have to, it's a comedy. It can get away with stuff, but the fact that it's, it works, it's intriguing. All it needs to be is something for like these witty dialogue exchanges to happen. But in addition to that, we're treated to very suspenseful scenes, which I think comedy films don't get credit for how well they pull off suspense a lot of the times, too. It's one of the genres that you don't think of having suspense, but they do in many different ways, traditional ways, um, their own kind of laughing ways. But um, this one's got it um, put poking their nose into nobody's business. They should just let, oh, murder, whatever. But Diane Keaton's, they're kind of, I guess this is a thing for like trying to find the fire in your marriage again. And she's using that murder mystery to do it. Well, and Alan Alda's like, oh yeah, he's all into it. So like, well, maybe I should, they both have a point where they should, they're like, should I leave my spouse? Because all because of this <laughs> stupid mystery. Um, There's a great scene I love where they're at some diner place, just having a beer together and talking about stuff. It's really great. Angelica Houston is just like, dynamite in this she's like this the movie goes to a certain point and it needs this new energy and she comes in and just is pow perfect there uh with it um she's just having a blast here um and it's like it's just a movie is just adults having fun making a movie for adults um and it's like a ground of mystery with everything but it's it's um it's not everything to this movie. There you can even if you're not in the mystery, it's it's funny. Like I I love like lines in here like the uh the the neighbor when they it opens up with the neighbor he wants to go watch a Bob Hope movie on TV, but they get dragged to the neighbor's apartment for drinks or whatever. And apparently the neighbor guy is a big stamps collector, and he's telling was they're getting ready for bed. He's like, oh yeah, my. If I had to look at more of that postage or the stamps collection, he's like, you know, my favorite thing in life is to look at canceled postage. I was like, yes, 
great. I always love his perspective at stuff like that. Um, There's um, a lot of good, like this is a good film lovers movie to, as far as yeah. showing off what he, what films he likes beyond yeah. just Bergman stuff. Like, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good reverence for like movies in general, or at least like from an older, from a noir era, from a forties era, from a thirties era that like, I think sticks out. You know, any movie that ends with a glass hall mirror scene, I'm just thinking, right. hi, and then this movie makes that, does that over time this time around. Also, I mean, we've talked about it's funny, but it is really funny. This it is movie, really funny. There's a, there's a bit late in the, uh, granted, I have not seen this movie. You've seen it. I haven't seen this. I've, I've been watching so, this like, for years. I haven't, yeah. seen, like, I haven't even seen clips from this movie. So I get to a point late in the movie. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but like, there's a sequence where, People have to like play tapes over a phone and there's things Woody Allen does that are so funny. (laughs) That is so his speed as far as the kind of physical humor he can bring to a scene like that. That was it's right out of like Annie Hall where he it's like, like the cocaine like, scene. Like, he yep. blows the cocaine all over the place. But yep. there's like one cutback where his hands are in the air and he's still it's just like this is this is so good. It's like so how could you do th- god damn it? Like, like when did it escalate take, to this level? Like we can't take you anywhere. <laughs> and he's got oh the uh she's they're walking this is where they're having tr- trouble about the bears or whatever and she's like i think we need to route she's like i think we need to reevaluate our lives he goes i have reevaluated our lives i got a 10 you got a six like she's trying to sneak out and he's like i command you to stay I mean, yeah there's an authority <laughs> yeah they just, oh, what they do to try to set up the the character their suspect the 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 links they go through with the, that having the the audition mm-hmm. record oh my gosh it's 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 a right to think about but it's like and and when you think about stuff i'm like well nobody realizes they're doing this so like the fact that they have to feel like they have to be all sneaky and like we're going to get caught when no one cares or like, you know, like no one really realizes it's kind of a step back kind of humor, but it is, it's right. it's such a small scale movie with that delivers so big uh, on everything. I just, uh, yeah, I can't, I always really liked this one a lot. Cause when I, like, when I first got into like Woody Allen films, like it was like him and Keaton, I had to see all those. Those were the ones like, Oh, that's just, you know, Annie Hall, it's amazing dynamite. Let's let's see all the Keaton Allen pairings. And this is one of the best, I would think. Uh definitely up there. But I yeah, I've always been a long time big fan of Manhattan Murder Mystery. Which uh was it was uh he did a two picture deal. Um Tristar, right? Tristar with husbands and wives and this, and then he he bolted uh mm-hmm. from that one. Um and then made the rest of his nineties movies elsewhere. But yeah. Uh and it's worth for what it's worth, it's worth noting, you know, this was already a period where Woody Allen was starting to be somewhat overshadowed by the real life off-screen allegations and or scandal to the point where if you watch the Siskel and Ebert episode about this, they're talking about how it's almost a welcome distraction to watch a Woody Allen movie like this that doesn't feel in any way, shape or form influenced by what's going on off screen. Mm-hmm. And yeah. whether that was intentional or not, this does feel very much like the first Woody Allen movie in a while that just feels completely divorced from his off-screen persona, both as a filmmaker and whatever else was going on. Yeah. But it's also a reminder that this discourse has been around for 35 years. 
part of him making this movie was he wanted a chance to kind of relax and do something different beyond deal with like courtroom battles and whatnot. And you can, yeah. I, think shows. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if Keaton was here and there to help him relax, maybe ease off sure, stuff. Sure. And, sure. and probably she's a director herself. She probably helped out with a lot of this stuff on this one. So that's a lot of people that have been in the industry that just like know what they're doing. Right. So it's like, we got the script. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a good style. Like Alda's no slouch. Like, yeah, the Jellica Houston. Yeah, she's, you know, you know, uh, Hollywood royalty there. So, yeah, yeah get get a lot of it. So, yeah, it's a fun movie. Like, I definitely recommend. Um, for sure. Um, but someone else who uh, big Woody Allen fan is uh, Yancey Burns. Uh, so uh, before we talk about Yancey Butler, we're gonna talk about Yancey Burns. And his tales from the video store. Green Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain is now on video. It's the battle of the century. The three ninjas versus the forces of evil. And the winner is Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain. Now on video. Rated PG. Another story from this blockbuster that I was at was a friend and I who were like purveyors of Mystery Science Theater 3000 and those type of movies uh, went in one night. To rent uh, three ninjas, high noon at Mega Mountain with Hulk Hogan. Always wanted to see that, and uh, and we were looking at watching Ed Wood films, <laughs> and we hadn't seen Orgy of the Dead yet. And this was like, yeah, I did that. Blockbuster carried Orgy of the Dead, yep. so yep, we went up to the counter. It was Saturday night, um, early evening, and it's a crowded <laughs> blockbuster, and we're in line, big line, families, everything. My friend's checking us out because we don't have to pay when he checks us out. And he's like, all right, so um, Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain is due back on Tuesday. And Orgy (laughs) of the Dead is due back on Friday. And we're like, oh, my God. And Ed woke up. But he he played it well. He played it well. there. (laughs) All right. Now it is time for the big release this weekend. Hard Target. Critics are calling Hard Target 100% action. A rocket-powered roller coaster. A supercharged blast of fireworks. With breathtaking, amazing stunts. How does it feel to be haunted? You tell me! Legendary director John Woo is a movie magician. And Jean-Claude Van Damme is the number one action hero in movies today. He's obviously not someone we should underestimate. Hard Target. Rated R. Now playing at theaters everywhere. Directed by John Woo! (laughs) All right. You've been saving that one for a while. Written by Chuck <laughs> Farrar and starring John Claude Van Damme as Cajun Man. Lance Hendrickson. <laughs> yeah. Lance Hendrickson in his second action movie villain turn this summer. Yancey Butler, Chuck Farrar, uh, Robert Apiza, Arnold Vosloo, Douglas Rye, Mike Leinert, uh, Willie C. and Willie C. Carpenter, and I forgot the most important person on here big billy summer big billy summer wolfer brimley what or no who is it um yeah yeah that, yeah yeah they're like trying to do like an audio cue or something <laughs> you built it up so much yeah yeah sorry i was just like i was like i was like wait yeah that's yeah Wol- wolfer brimley sorry oh right right, right. Let's, do their, let's do their <laughs> movie. huh 
What's the other Hendrickson movie? What am I not thinking of? <clears throat> Excessive Force. Oh, of course. What am I? Of course. One of the top movies. <laughs> yes. All right. So a woman hires a drifter as her guide through New Orleans in search of her missing father. <laughs> in the process, they discover a deadly game of cat and mouse behind his disappearance. All right. So, um, this is John Woo's American debut following Hard Boiled. Uh, and this is Van Damme on his rise. This was supposed to be a Kurt Russell movie. They didn't want to wait on him. Uh, and uh, famously, Sam Raimi is on set for this because they were like, things don't work with John Woo. We're firing him and you're you're taking over. So that's pretty much what was here. Um so Van Dam, he's a fan of John Woo and like, yes, everybody and, here is Lee Henriksen, Vosloo. They're all like, oh, we're gonna work with John Woo. But like Sam Raimi is such a like he's a nice guy. He's a guy yeah. that's like <laughs> he's not gonna be there. Like okay, I guess I'm I guess I'm in the house, guys. Uh, well, I bet but, Sam Raimi did it because he's like I'm not gonna fire him, and I want to well, make yeah, sure they I, don't. I don't want to be. I don't want to pass on this, and then they hire some guy that does fire him because it's they such want a, like job. it's such an awkward thing to tell somebody. It's like you watch this man and make sure he's like what's me like okay do you know me but like everything I've I've read in the interviews and like and saw on the new Blu-ray it's like Sam Raimi just did nothing but like just make it make it safe for Wu to do what he yeah. wanted because he's a mensch so yeah um so th this is top tier peak era van dam um he also had nowhere to run this year so what are, are you guys fans of van dam at all uh, you watch the movie, more appreciative like, than i was as a kid he was like the the edgy cool if you wanted to be like a hipster in the action movies back then you were like oh yeah i like van dam like the, the arnold and stallone were you know it was like but van dam he's he's the man but this is this problem is bad. I would say like this one, Time Cop, uh, like Bloodsport, Lionheart. Sudden, sudden Impact. Sudden Impact. Yeah. Well, Sudden Impact, I like as a hoot. That is a that's a fun yeah, movie. Rocks. I mean, what about yes. <laughs> but, but Double Impact, you get two Van Dams. He was like Schwarzenegger. He like put multiple Van Dams in his movies. But I would say this sits as one of his, his best here. Um, it's no. Um, fuck. It's no um, knockoff with Rob Schneider from Surfing in his. Right, right. They can't all be maximum risk. Right. They can't all be double team with Dennis Rodman and Mick Work. <laughs> I, I saw maximum risk open every weekend at the theater. With Natasha Henstridge. Yep. I was a Van Damme fan and I was I was there. I was there for Street Fighter. Uh yeah. I was there for everything. Um so Scott. Christ. He directed. With Roger, Roger Moore, Christ. yeah. <laughs> Did not see Legionnaire though. So Scott, hard target. Uh, I I enjoyed it. I didn't actually see this one until probably three or four years ago because I always heard that the already cut was so compromised. I figured I'd wait to some far off time when the hardcore, unrated, super duper gore filled version would be available on DVD and probably during lockdown because whatever. I ended up just finding it on like Tubi or something and just watching the damn film, mm -hmm. and I enjoyed it. Again, I, I think, you know, certainly I'm an adult now, so I'm more appreciative of what Van Damme was bringing to the scene than I was when I was a kid, where in that stupid kid way, I arbitrarily decided that I did not like him as a young teen and then just 
sort of viewed him with a certain dismissive whatever. And I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense. I still saw several of his films. You know, I saw Street Fighter. I saw Time Cop. Um, but, you know, it's I certainly did not give him the credit he deserved at the time for being the guy to bring a lot of these promising Asian filmmakers into Hollywood to give them a, a shot at the title. You know, John Woo, Ringo Lam, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that was something that he was doing that I think a lot of his... his his compatriots were not for whatever, whatever reason. Um, but as for this film, yeah, it's, it's very John Woo. It's an American Western. Um, it feels very stylized. It's very, but it's also fun and it's not, it's a little too short almost, but again, I don't know how much was cut out of the, for the R-rated version. Van Damme is as studly in this as he probably is at any point in his young career, because again, Wu knows how to, you know, make them look like, you know, golden gods. That's something he's very good at. Same with Yancey Butler, who's just a knockout in this picture. Uh, this was her first major movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she followed up with this with, I think, uh, Drop Zone and a couple other things. And then she was in Witchblade. Blade, yeah. mm-hmm. Yep. Was she in the Blade TV show? No. Or am I wrong? I'm thinking of something else. I apologize. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 you can see a, this is woo on a budget, comparatively speaking. Right. Um, cause the, the settings are very rural America and the, the, the action scenes are somewhat contained in terms of street level fisticuffs and what have you. Um, but it's incredibly entertaining and the two villains are just, delightfully enjoyable just to watch them you know hendrickson and vuzlu just hamming it up it's like they're the most entertaining part of the film whether someone's being kicked or shot or not well scott you know the the the, this longer version that you were holding out for uh included a lot more lance hendrickson (gasps) to it and the, the legend has it van damme and his own editor it was like a little over two hours. They went and cut Did he the pull like Kevin Costner. Yeah. They cut the film down to what we have now and stating people are paying to see a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, not a Lance Henriksen movie. That I, you know what? I was right to dislike that guy in the nineties. <laughs> I take all that back. <laughs> Fuck that shit Ed. But that's that's what the that's what legend has it, uh is why we have this <laughs> That wouldn't surprise I mean I don't not knowing, you know, like whatever that wouldn't surprise me. Both knowing his off-screen reputation at the time, and the fact that the two of them are just so completely entertaining together that it, I imagine he would be concerned that they would overshadow him in the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's obviously it's not my favorite John Woo film or anything like that, but for an American debut and watching him bring his very specific sensibilities into a very distinctly American rural Western. I think it's very entertaining. It's a lot of fun. And I think it sort of goes a little silly by the end when Wilford Bridling shows up and he gets turned into an action figure. Yeah. Well, like, it's better, so, I mean, but the, the film doesn't need that kind of comedy in it. Mm. Um, so and... you like surf ninjas better than hard target. What was that? <laughs> So you like Surf Ninjas better than Hard Target? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. All right. Um, but no, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. All right. Um, Aaron? Yeah. Um, in regards to your initial question, as far as Van Damme goes, like he's not one of my guys as far as the action figures of that period. Like, And you can, 
you can see the difference. As you like as... him better than Seagal, though, right? I do. I I, I generally <laughs> no because I you know you have your ranking or you like yeah. your part for these things. And like Arnold was my guy growing up, and like Stallone was like in the realm. Like it like I hadn't seen Rockies at that point, like or at least all of them. Um, but like I was growing up with T two and Predator, so it's like Arnold's my guy. Well, there's Still- Stallone, Arnold, Bruce Willis, and then there's the next tier, which is Van Damme, Seagal. I I wouldn't even put Lundgren with them. I put Lundgren. Lundgren, I put him. And then next, you've got like Faye and Lundgren and the direct-to-video crew. So regardless, Van Damme is like he skirts the edge because he's in some stuff that like appeals to me as far as like yeah, sudden impact, which is like Die Hard or Street Fighter, just a game I played. So it's like okay. They're, you know, doing martial arts movies, cool, whatever. What I do appreciate about him, like you were just saying, uh, Scott, as far and Brandon, like he was bringing in directors that, you know, international directors where mm-hmm. the emphasis there is stories, whatever. These are action movies. Who cares? Let's focus on these stars and show the looking as cool as fucking possible. And that's what you get with Van Damme movies generally, like the stories are whatever, except for like time cop, which weirdly has the most story. Um, but, Mm -hmm. but what you do get in all of these films is Van Damme looking as cool as possible. Like that's very, and that's a thing that international directors would emphasize more, right? Cause you're not, you know, it's like stories, whatever. So that's this movie of hard target. You get a really good looking movie on the scale that it's at, uh, I, similar to Scott, had not seen this until the pandemic. Like, I never, like, watched it, uh, mainly because it was always that other John Woo American movie that, like, was less successful than the other ones I had grown up watching, Broken Arrow, Face Off. Mm. So, like, I never, I just never got around to watching Hard Target. And, yeah, I similarly also heard that there is, it's a movie that was, like, you know, cut up and what have you, which I think is overstated as far as the, res- the result is a still a competent movie that looks like something that makes sense. So, it's like... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what I'm sure there's some version out there that just like they, you know, talk about how Mission Impossible 2 has a four hour, three hour version. It's like, yeah, but what are we really adding? <laughs> well, we- it's funny. Like, I don't think there's like these missing gigantic action sequences that we just that's, lost that's out on. That's the thing. Exactly. It's like, if that's not the stuff you cut out of these movies. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. There's <laughs> not a For hated- the record. I think the three hour cut of Mission Impossible 2 is an urban legend. I've never actually believed that it exists. It could be a work <laughs> print, though. Yeah, well, yeah, work, work print, fine. They're all three hours from their own. Well, that, yeah. that movie does have plot holes and it's stuff that, yeah, I can imagine the. Does it? It does, but I imagine the shoe that's that stuff where like shoe leather stuff can like fit in dot lines of dialogue or scenes yeah. of a character walking into a building just to justify it, whatever. It doesn't matter. This movie, yeah, yeah. I picked up till until later. When I finally see it, like I get it. Like I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna expouse a bunch of praise on it because I think it's fine, but I do like the stuff that really feels like woo, which is the ample amounts of slow motion, the fact that doves and whatever other birds are able to be available are available. Uh, having very, very defined characterizations of the people we're supposed to be following. So with Van Damme, of course, with Yancey Butler, and especially with, yes, Lance Henriksen and Arnold Vosloo, who's great in this. And it's not a surprise that he would become the mummy because he's such a striking villain figure as far mm-hmm. as what he's doing here. It makes me wonder why they're like, he should be the hero in our Darkman sequels. Um, but huh. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. <laughs> but I but I do think the movie it it works better than it doesn't on the whole. It's weird that there's a plot about you know the most dangerous game 
and Van Damme doesn't end up being in that. He just is on the side yeah. of it. <laughs> it's such a weird idea. Uh, but like then it's I, building up for him to be dropped into the game. the game. And then he's not. And it's like, what? Uh, but Ice-T would prove him wrong in surviving the game like a year later. So, you know, it right. works. Um, a movie we all like. Spo- um, spoiler in that title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, it has... The, the, I've heard this before as far, and I think I talk about this on our face-off commentary um, on Out Now, that, like, while I think Face-Off is his best American film, I've heard the argument being that the hard target was when he started being the most John Woo and got progressively less and less John Woo. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I can see what one would be saying if you're saying Hard Target feels the most like a traditional John Woo movie because it's coming right off of Hard Boiled. The finale of this movie, it feels just like the big uh, garage fight in hard boiled like it, it's very much in line with what he had been doing in the realm of like gun fu action movies at that point i just i just think he got better doing american films over time mm-hmm. um i'm not gonna sit here and say broken air is an american masterpiece but i do think it's a step up for reasons mainly because the hamminess of some of his performances and then face off is obviously you know next level uh but this movie like the greatest yeah, movies ever made obviously yeah. uh in one of your your favorite nick cage performance uh so like this movie yeah. Uh, it, it does what it does get by on aside from the John Wooisms of it, you know, big you know double double guns reloading when the scene decides it's okay to do so, uh, what have you, explosions, what have you. I do think there's a cork factor in here that works as well, and that's partially because of the villains and partially because I can tell Van Damme is trying. Like he. I, I think he's at a stage in his life where he would admit that he's not the best actor. I don't think he necessarily realized that then, but you can tell he's really putting in the work to be like, I want to make this Cajun accent a thing. I want to wear a mullet and be believable as a drifter, the most well-dressed drifter there is, but a damn drifter, damn it. And he wants to make make, make that, that level of style uh, off of him, yet still factor into the drama he's facing of a guy that needs to get work. Uh, like there's something about it that that's endearing to me for, for John Glenn Van Damme that I appreciated watching it, watching it for my second time for this, for this podcast. Well, there's one, one thing I will slightly add is that I, one thing I like about Van Damme in retrospect is that he used his time in the direct video marketplace to become a better actor. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. he's, I'm not going to say he's fantastic, but he's become a much more authentic, incredible, and interesting screen presence in the a lot of the 2000s era movies that he was making. Um, it's not unheard of for any actor, regardless of your yeah. not. You just get, yeah, old. You get old enough and you, you have Bobby Toss or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but by the time he I, makes, I, um, what's it? What's the what's the, the one where he stars as himself? Oh, Replicant. Uh, JCVD? Oh, sorry. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) He did a lot of movies with twins, in my defense. He does have an abnormal amount of twins movies compared to, like, Jackie Chan and all those guys. Mm -hmm. Everybody does one, it seems, except Stallone. Stallone hasn't done a clone movie yet. Yeah. Has he? No, he hasn't. Um, (laughs) Think about that for a second. Um, Kind of sort of Samaritan, but not really. Mm. Oh, damn it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, JCVD is a great, yeah, that's where he's really introspective and you can tell that he's, you know, put on the age and is reflective about himself or whatnot. It's an interesting where this, this though, he's not like necessarily good, but like his screen presence is very, like you can tell like this early 90s period is like pure, like screen energy. Like you can see yeah. why he's able to get movies still into theaters at this point in his career. 
Yeah, uh, it's funny because critics weren't fond of this one, but they they pointed out Wu and Henriksen. But the, the about Van Dam, one of the reviews started out when Van Dam isn't busy duking it out with the English language. Like Jesus Christ, that's mean. It's really mean. But <laughs> I, I think, it's not, and frankly, it's not true. I think he's perfectly credible as a guy yeah, who isn't from here. There's some, there's a couple I mean, bad line reads, but it's a fucking action movie that a movie like, like this. Yeah. Like the, the, um, the rest of the it, cast is not. It's not like Yancey Butler's lines are amazing in this movie. Yeah. There, there was always a charm with that and like Arnold and stuff like that. Yeah, I didn't give a shit. You know, like that's and fine. You know, are they going to explain the accent on this one? Or are they just going to yeah. let that one slide? I, I always, so I always was like, a Van Damme. I'm da- a Canadian firefighter or something or whatever. With 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 a Van Damme movie, I always look at him like, what's his name going to be in this one? What's his name going to be? <laughs> and this this is one pretty, is Chance Boudreau. It's pretty good. Yeah. Right. Chance Boudreau. Was Chance a pretty good- Boudreau. So I always like because I know every script that comes by, it's coming by Seagal. It's coming, you know, it's already been passed on by Willis Stallone and Schwarzenegger. It's gone by the desk of uh, Seagal or Van Damme. And like when one of them picks it, like Van Damme picks it, like, well, we got to give him like a Cajun last name now. We get so it goes from like, you know, Shooter Johnson to like Shooter Boudreaux or something, you know, like they always try to do that. Um, I think the MVP of this film, though, is John Woo. Without him, this is just another static action movie. Yeah, he is the here. one who makes it more interesting. He seems to dive into themes and and spell them out visually a lot of the way. Um, the action scenes are really... Everybody looks awesome in this movie when they're doing action. There's the Van Damme, the notable scene where he gets... He like balanced himself on top of the moving motorcycle to shoot down. It's fucking awesome. Uh, great use of slow motion. Um, effectively, uh, it really enhances and shows off Van Damme's athleticism with the slow motion. Because the one thing Van Damme did, I love would like the other shows his leg like he's un- he's revealing a shotgun. Yeah, it's like I'm armed and it's his leg. But that's the thing with Van Damme had over him. Uh, he had yeah. the kick. And he was cooler yeah. than Chuck Norris, and because Chuck Norris kicked people, but come on, uh, like he could kick, like he jump kicked and shit. It was awesome. There's like so many cool moves, and he does still like for for the Americanization of like you know international directors when they come to do an American film. This feels like he was allowed to do his shit. Like it feels very un, uh, uncompromised. Like uh, the compromise, compromising of this film apparently came in the editing room, but yeah. John Woo shooting it and the actions, the way the action scenes cut very much feel like this is what, this is what we could have. And uh, he, that's, he worked with a team that knew his movies that were fans of him. Yeah. Like it, it helps. Like, and it this helps. is the, in the Van Damme catalog. This argues to be number one, um, and bigger cut or not, I've always liked this movie fine. This is like, um, you know, this is like those movies where, you know, there's this legendary cut of this film that you want to see that's better or it was compromised, but you always still like the theatrical cut anyway. That's why you're interested in the bigger cut is because you like that. Well, like that movie Nightbreed, that Clyde Barker one that I like, um, the, the, the longer version is much better, but like I always liked the theatrical one anyway to begin with. It wasn't like I hated that. It was like I Superman wanted more. Superman 2. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Superman 2. Yeah, I like Superman 2 anyway. 
Did Scott actually freeze? I think Scott froze. Not one of those patented fakes. Yes, Scott, you were saying? We missed what you said. Oh, no, I, I was joking. I was saying I waited to see the proper cut of Nightbreed, and I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a fun movie. This one, yeah, like Yancey Butler's great here, too. Uh, you know what she does for Van Damme here is and is like what Diana Rigg, Rigg does for George Lazenby in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. She like makes him better with us. Uh, yeah, she's in. Um, good characterization. Uh-huh. They're not afraid to get her bloody as well. Uh, and Wilford Brimley is the character. Yeah, <laughs> she gets slapped around. Uh, quite a bit. Hendrickson's great. Um, Bosloo's great. That that's. That's highlighting uh, the stuff here, but they're excited to be in a doing action stuff in a woo movie. That's the kind of thing. I like the end scene being set in the carnival. Um, just yeah, lots of cool stuff here. This is a fun, cool action movie. Some of the you know, I, it's not the best the '90s has to offer, but it's of one of the more interesting ones that the '90s has to offer in the action movie department. Like it's. It's a cool movie. Um, I like that Van Damme does a lot of shoot a guy, kick the guy, and then shoot the guy again moves. Yes. <laughs> it's efficient. It's efficient. Um, I like how vivid a lot of the supporting characters are in this. I mean, even Cassie Lemons is just mm-hmm. a really well-sketched yeah. and interestingly sympathetic cop. Yeah. Um, and well, frankly, a- some of the victims in this film are given a lot of flesh and blood sentimentality. So it stings when they get killed. Yeah. And she instantly, she gets in this sequence, uh, this, the uh, alleyway action sequence where she was almost like, she gets shot at and it's like really intense. Cause you give a shit about her. And then Van Damme gets to do the woo dive, uh, <laughs> shooting in that, in that moment. But that's a really cool sequence. Like they're well paced, uh, and, and varied action sequences too throughout this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this movie is so good. They made Hard Target 2 like 20 years later. Which uh, we all like, obviously. With Scott Atkins, which... Uh, I've uh, not seen it. You didn't see it? Did you see it, Aaron? I did, apparently. I did a review for the Blu-ray of it. Uh, I can you remember it fondly. <laughs> it's got Rona Mitra in it, so that might have been why I requested it. But it's got Scott Atkins <laughs> is the lead. I, I can't... I couldn't tell you a thing. I'm looking at my review for it right now. I gave it Two and a half. Who's the villain? Uh, Robert Snapper. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Tamara Morrison's in it. Okay. Yeah. It's it's basically um, like a remake. It's a it's a yeah most dangerous game type thing again. So you can it was, it was the same. yeah Eraser Reborn. Oh, I, I gave it such it's high the same fucking movie. Su- such high praise as the movie just sort of is what it is. <laughs> is it great? Um, nah. Is it great for its genre? Still nah. But it entertains realm, and and the premise is good enough. <laughs> in the realm of those, like Sudden Impact 2 is not bad with Michael Jai White. That, that one that one does better as far as being a basically. Oh, that's like welcome to sudden impact. Welcome to sudden death. Like yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's a better ver- it's a better, it's one of the better. We're using the IP to do the same plot again, but with a different actor. Yeah. I mean, Michael, look, you know, Michael J. White's good. I like Scott Atkins. It's no secret that I do, but Michael J. White is just pure charisma in a way that he's yeah. not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The DTV Kings right there. Um, but yeah, um, so Scott, how did how did Hard Target fare at the box office? Was it a hard weekend for it at the box office? 
Hold on, I have way too many uh, boxes open. Hold on a second. Sorry. I'll tell you what, it wasn't the audience's number one target for nope, the weekend. The Fugitive was number one again with $18 million, dropping just 19% in its third weekend for a 17 day total of $89 million. Hard Target was number two with $10 million uh, in its opening weekend. It would eventually earn $31 million domestic, and there's no worldwide here, so let me see if I can find that. Uh, $75 million worldwide on a $20 million budget. So that was actually a really solid hit. Um, it's probably one of the bigger ones for Van Damme, but just by yeah, default. So, but that's why it only took 13 years for a sequel. Exactly. Um, and then the Secret Garden in number in third. All three of the top three films are Warner Brothers movies. Wow! Shit! And they've got Free Willy in number seven. I'm sorry. What was that? Take that, Disney. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, uh, wait a minute. That's not right. I watched Hard Target. There's a Universal logo at the beginning. Wasn't there? Yes, it is Universal. Yeah, yeah, it's Universal. I will assume that's a mistake. So they anyway, two two of the top three. Yes. Um, curse you the numbers. I trusted you. If I wanted to go to a crap site filled with arrows, I go to Box Office Mojo. Um, Was it distributed overseas by Warner Brothers? Quite possibly. A hard target or uh, Secret Garden, four point three million, dropping just seven percent in its second weekend in thirteen hundred and thirty-two screens for a twelve point three or excuse me, twelve point four million dollar ten day total. Rising Sun, four million, minus thirty-four percent, forty-eight million. Yeah. yeah, it is. It was a solid hit. Yeah. Um, it was sort of the adult film of the moment of it of the fugitive, I guess, by default. But um, going home be like, you just gotta see Rise Sean Connery speaking Japanese. It's crazy. Okay, so next weekend, let's not go see the fugitive <laughs> uh, for the fourth time. Let's go see Rising Sun finally. That's we, we should do that. You're the man now, um, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Jurassic Park. Uh, in fifth place, dropping a whopping 13%, 3.76 million in its 11th weekend, crossing the uh, 300 million mark hmm. for a $306 million total as it winds up to, uh, weekend 11. $3.4 million minus 23%. The Clint Eastwood starring in the line of fire had earned 89.6 million at the end of its seventh weekend in theaters. Uh, Free Willy still sticking around, earning another 3.1 million minus 23% in 1,700 theaters. Hold like the River Jordan. Exactly. End of weekend six, $59 million total. Uh, Hearts and Souls would drop a harsh, by these standards, 35% in weekend two for a $2.8 million weekend and a 9.4 total. It's a good hold nowadays. Uh, yeah, but I did it. Yes, it is. And honestly, part of it's just because it didn't open very well. So, you know, the hold doesn't mean much. And, you know, if you look at the top 10, it's everything's got good holds because that's how the business worked those days. Mm-hmm. Um, the firm weekend eight, $2.6 million for a two Brimley's in the top 10. Oh, man. <laughs> yes, oh, two my. Brimley's and two uh, Tobin Bells. Two Tobin Bells? Two Tobins. <laughs> Um, and Brimley. And Woody in a pear tree? Yes. Um, for $144 million after eight weekends in theaters. Uh, Sleepless in Seattle rounding out the top 10 with $2.5 million. 
uh, for $106 million total after nine weekends. 11th place, you have Manhattan Murder Mystery, which would open with $2 million in 268 theaters for a pretty decent $7,520 per screen average. It would eventually, excuse me, <laughs> lug out to around 11.3. Uh, it was not a hit, believe it or not. Because it cost about, I think, $13 million to make, give or take. Uh, although I'm assuming it made money over the long run with, you know, video and HBO and all that fun stuff. How long till Sony buys TriStar? I'm sorry? How long till Sony buys uh, TriStar? Where are you at? Let me look that up. That's a good question. Maybe they don't have the money for marketing. it. Maybe they're falling off at this point. Sorry, now I'm actually curious because I should know that and I don't. Uh, 1989. So no, that's oh, so they're just starting out with it, huh? Yeah, and that looks who's talking money. <laughs> and then that's it for the top 16 of note. Uh, what were the other two movies we we're talking about? Here? What's Unforgiven doing, Scott? Did it make ten dollars? It's out of the top 15 finally. Oh, only took almost two years, almost a year. Uh, Surf Ninjas would open with I don't know why it's not on the list, but it would earn. Oh, that's why it's not on the list. Um, it would earn total $4.9 million. Ooh. And there is no weekend numbers, at least not on Box Office Mojo, listed for this picture. Let me see what I can find, because that's curious. Wow. $2 million on its opening weekend. And it would drop by 63% wow. in weekend two, next weekend. For a seven point four seven hundred forty-two thousand dollars total, it would clap out at four point nine million dollars. And mm. King of the Hill, I'm sure, made like ten bucks. Yeah, it opened a few weeks back, so it wouldn't be on the Yeah, wouldn't only four hundred sixty-five thousand dollars. Yeah, wouldn't on many screens. That's uh, that's not great, Bob. Yeah. Soderbergh is finished. Yeah. It cost it made it would make one point two million dollars on an eight million dollar budget. Which again, you know, he wasn't a bankable name to the extent that he needed to be until the late nineties, early two thousands, if that. Um no, that's even the then. end. Even then. It's, <laughs> not not really really even, it's not really till it's not really till he wins an Oscar, but it's not till like Oceans that he's like Well yeah, but Oceans I, is not I, like, I oh, think oh, he man, was a guys, the new Soderbergh movie is coming out. It's every fucking guy in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. The success of those is really what propels. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean it's 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 and to be fair, he makes the Oceans movies and by 2006 he's making highly experimental digital VOD first Magnolia pictures like Bubble. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he spends much time in between Oceans he's like let me partner with James Cameron to make a, a remake of Solaris that will cost a bunch and make yep. nothing. Yes. Or let me go that, may, that might be what was the end of his "quote unquote" mainstream career to a certain let, extent. Yeah. Let me let me get Clooney to be in a throwback to 1940s noir in a black and white yes. that no bet that's made to like it would have been made then, but add more swears to it and not do any advertising to make it get off the ground. <laughs> I remember the good German. Yeah. Um. Whatever the fuck full frontal is, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, Bubble is actually quite good. Yeah, Bubble's Bubble is really I'm actually, good. I'm actually a fan of that one. Yep. 
Yeah, we had to work on the DVD for that back in the day, Scott. And I watched it a couple yep, we times. Did. I was like, man, this is good. Because that was the, the idea for him there was just to pick a small town and then like cast Joe Schmoes to, yeah. to do it. And it works. He it's, did that a lot. Joe yeah. Schmoes, like, you know, uh, what's her name? Gina Carino or whatever. Gina Carano? Um, whatever. Um, and that that one that one's interesting because you have all these world class actors acting around her for obvious reasons. And Soderbergh editing around her, yeah. Yes. And I like Haywire a, a lot more. I like Haywire a lot more than no. You it's do. so good. No, it's oh no, it's, I, 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 not, not you. you. Not it's you. very entertaining. <laughs> no, no, I think it's a good, fun, interesting movie, and I think in a skewed way that's almost part of its charm because the, there's no other movie like it. I would argue. In terms of feeling like a a cheap lo-fi direct-to-DVD action film, but with spectacular fight scenes and a world-class cast surrounding, you know, someone who, all due respect, can't act worth a damn. Yeah. Yeah, Mike, I mean, Michael Fassbender never died better on screen than he did in Hate Life. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> true, true, true. All right. Well, um, I, I, I like how we have bookended this with Soderbergh. That's how it goes. <laughs> uh, but that'll, that'll do it here for uh, August 20 through 22 of 1993. Scott and Aaron, we're getting there. We're getting there. So before we sign out, Scott, where can people find you? I'm at therap.com and I'm at Scott Mendelson at, on Twitter. All right. And Aaron, you're in more places. I am in We Live Entertainment for movie reviews, Why is the Blue for Blu ray and Criterion reviews. Uh, I host a podcast with my friend Abe called Out Now Theron and Abe. We talk about weekly movie releases. And I am on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. All right. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. Written work at Next week, the penultimate week, we have a five-film feast for his only the strong man without a face seeks needful things called love. All nice. that and more as the summer of 93 at 30 all continues toward the end. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The Summer of and News Themes by Press Maxson. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.